This episode is brought to you by Element Kombucha. Kombucha is an incredibly delicious drink with a ton of amazing health benefits, primarily gut health. It's got those good bacterias. Yes, some bacterias are good. I've actually got a bottle of Element Kombucha in my hand. This one is called Summer Vibes. So let's take a sip. Oh, wow. Oh yeah, that's the first time trying this particular flavor and it is delicious. My other favorites are the Mountain Oolong as well as the Jasmine Hibiscus. Elements brewing process maintains the traditional methods and ingredients that people have been brewing kombucha with for thousands of years. Each flavor is brewed with strict parameters to bring out the benefits of the plants as well as the best flavors possible. And let me tell you, you can feel the difference. I highly recommend you give Element Kombucha a try. It's delicious, it's healthy, and it's just nice to have in your fridge for when you're thirsty. So go to elementkombucha.com and use promo code ZIAN11 to save 11%. That's ZIAN11 to save 11%. X-I-A-N-11 at elementkombucha.com. This episode is also brought to you by Sheath, the underwear of legends. What makes Sheath different is the pouch on the inside. Now this is a game-changing invention that completely revolutionizes the male undergarment. These are the most comfortable underwear I have ever worn by far. They've got amazing designs and styles, super comfortable fabrics. My favorite is the bamboo and also the V, which is a long leg athletic underwear that doesn't ride up and it supports you where it matters most. So go check out Sheath at sheathunderwear.com and use promo code TIMEWHEEL to save 20%. Once again, that's sheathunderwear.com, promo code TIMEWHEEL.
All right, we are rolling, and I'm here with my good friend Donnie, aka Savage. How's it going, man? I'm great, man. Happy to do this with you. Yeah, so much has happened uh, since our last podcast. It's actually been a lot of uh, mind-expanding material, and I'm I'm looking forward to diving into that with you. Got a number of topics in mind for this discussion, so thank you for being here. Um, but I did want to kick it off with your new music release called Solstice Remixed, released by Gravitas Recordings. Congrats on that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was amazing. It was such an honor to have such incredible music producers put their energy and vibes into my Solstice album, which obviously means so much to me. And the remixes are amazing. Everybody killed it. And uh, yeah, I was glad to be part of it. For sure. Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, my experience of it was, you know, at that point I had heard Solstice countless times. You know, it's, it's honestly like a favorite album of mine at this point. Um, anytime we go to like an Airbnb in Austin or anything, like I got to bless the space, put Solstice on, you know? Yeah. <laughs> That's um, awesome, yeah, so it was cool like hearing people elaborating on on what you've laid down as the, as the groundwork of, of those tracks and as well, some people kind of stripped them down um, and took like brought out parts that you weren't really, that were more subliminal parts in some of your tracks and made it a lot more pronounced. And actually, um, one of the tracks that did that was the Somatos remix. And um, I had for the first time really downloaded and digested in my head the words that were coming through. And I had definitely heard the words in the, in the unremixed track. But for some reason, I think he kind of looped them a bunch of times in his remix, and it just like wired into me this concept. And I wanted to ask you what it meant to you, um, because you know I believe you curated the words to be in the song. But the the uh, the string of words is psychosensory, co-creative, space-time coordinates. What does that mean to you? Well, in, in, in this incarnation, it means all of us. So those are the words of Juliet Carter, who you can hear sampled in my track, One Truth, from the album, which is what Somatos remixed. Uh, she is the organizer of a group called The Template, and her, her gift of language is unparalleled, in my opinion. So essentially, psychosensory co-creative space-time coordinates is a very concise semantic description of what it means to be embedded in a physical vessel as a form of consciousness. So we are the psychosensory co-creative space-time coordinates. We are psychosensory. We have our sensory input and we have our minds processing the sensory input. We're co-creative as in we work together as social beings to co-create a consensus reality physically and in the mind. And essentially, our consciousness is embedded as a coordinate in space and time. So put those together, and we are a psychosensory co-creative space-time coordinate. And it's wow. just really amazing use of language that Juliet uses. And I really appreciate it because it really drives home the core principles of what it means to be alive, what it means to have consciousness at your disposal, and what it means to be a human. Absolutely. Wow, that is so powerful. And you know, uh, I have this feeling because I'm a musician myself and I've always really appreciated like the subliminal things. I mean, even if someone doesn't physically register the word and the concept, the fact that it goes through their ears and into the brain, right. you know, even as a subliminal thing, it, it, it's it's kind of like 
planting a seed of some sort or another. And I mean, my experience with that was uh, with uh, Boards of Canada. Have you listened to them before? I haven't. Oh man, you're missing out, bro. I got to send you some of this stuff. It's so yeah, good because they have so many subliminal messages in there. And there's actually like forums and forums and forums. Uh, one of my friends, Skytree, is actually like one of the moderators on these forums, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Um, but anyway, uh, Boards of Canada does amazing stuff. If if you guys listening haven't jammed them, go for it. It's going to thoroughly blow your mind. Um, but so when it comes to the the space-time coordinates, one thing that came up in me was it made me think of how um, in an altered state, particularly with the tryptamines, um, let's just say DMT, dimethyltryptamine, we'll talk about NN DMT right now, um, you kind of like go to this, this space. It almost seems like you're zapped to a different space-time coordinate or something like that. Like you, you're able to travel to some other higher realm some other astral space you know there's so many words for it that have been uh used to describe like these these places that you go um i'm curious like what are your thoughts on on where you go when you use dmt and like what does that space feel like for you and as well um it's interesting how other people seem to go to the same space a lot of times, because if these psychedelics were just like kind of turning our imagination on and we were free to imagine where we're going to go and everyone would seem to like go to their own space, like someone that that loved Disney movies would go to the Disney movie space or whatever. But it's like we don't seem to be going to those. A lot of people are coming back with reports saying I went to this place and then ton more, a, a ton of reports are coming out about them all going to that space as well, seeing the same things as well, sometimes even meeting the same beings as well. So, yeah, I just want to open the floor and, and hear your, uh, your thoughts on this. You want me to touch on, like, the spaces first or the beings? Let's go spaces. So, I mean, there, there are kind of a number of, of reports of different kind of classes and spaces, but one that seems to be a constant is the, the dome situation that people report that kind of Terrence McKenna labeled first. And, you know, a lot of things in the, in the DMT realm kind of took on their first semantic description from Terrence McKenna, like the elves and the dome and whatnot. But the dome is something I've personally found to be a constant, and it's also depicted in a whole lot of visionary art as like a dome shaped room with fractal patterns and like that kind of centrifuge in the middle. And if you, if you look at it and you look at descriptions of geometry and going back to space time, uh, the, the structure of space time, what this dome resembles is a toroidal shape, like a torus. And, uh, you know, my, one of my personal theories about why people enter that dome is that it seems to me that the visual, sensory experience of this dome could be um, our third dimensional brains reconciling higher dimensional geometry. If you ever look at uh, mathematical uh, illustrations of how higher dimensional geometry can be reconciled in 2D on a drawing or a schematic or diagram, whatever, um, it, it's, it's difficult to wrap your head around. And uh, oftentimes it resembles what they call a multi-stable perception where mm -hmm. it's kind of like if you envision like the image of a cube that's 
either facing this way or it's facing this way based on how you choose to perceive it the the image is multi-stable your perception of it is what determines which way it's facing uh that's similar in principle to how our brains could potentially be reconciling these higher dimensional geometries and trying to understand or to reconcile something that's above three dimensions that contains more than three dimensions is really difficult while we're embedded in these human bodies and, and minds, right. right? So uh that that to me is is one potential for you know why the the rooms and the geometries are shaped in the way that they are. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. It's 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 that's a loaded question, man. It's it's really yeah. difficult to wrap our minds around whenever we right. you know, start digging into that. Right. Yeah. As you were, as you were saying all that, the term came to mind, deciphering the ineffable. And it's kind of what, you know, we're doing with, with these conversations as well. But, um, so what I'm understanding is that the, the human mind feeble as it is in the grand scheme of the universe, like it can't really comprehend these like next level dimensions that we're going to. And that's kind of almost why it wipes from our memory. As soon as we get back, it's like, you can't remember this. It's too much for you. You know, um, sometimes we remember stuff if we're, if we're pretty practiced, but, uh, you know, a lot of information definitely seems to get lost when you come back to baseline consciousness. Um, but so you're saying like maybe that toroidal field look, the dome, which I actually saw in Dom and her as well, which I think I might have shown you when we went and, uh, when I went and hung out with you at your house, which is that uh, underground temple where they have just like tons of statues, tons of sculptures, like mystical tradition artwork all over the place. It was amazing. But like their center um, ceremony hall was that toroidal field was something coming up from the center, a center pillar, and then turning into a globe above. So it's almost like they're in touch with that as well. But um, is it that you're saying like, that what we're seeing is our best representation and, and what our mind can potentially try to comprehend around something that's pretty uncomprehendable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in a sense that the Taurus shape is a constant in the universe. It, it's, it's described in the structure of space time. It's used in quantum physics. It's, it's used all over the place to describe the mathematics of physics in various ways. And, you know, it seems like the, you know, the galaxy and the black hole in the center of galaxies emit, you know, energy and magnetic fields in these same toroidal shapes. And uh, it just makes sense to me logically that, Mm -hmm. well, whenever you're entering these spaces that you're talking about, that, that this shape would be our reconciliation of how to understand the, or reconcile a higher dimensionality when our brains and minds are only used to these three dimensions. And in the, in the sense of space, obviously three dimensions means, you know, with height and depth. And Mm -hmm. those are the only dimensions that our sensory organs are attuned to perceive. So it, it gets weird, man, but yeah, it's, Mm -hmm. it's an amazing phenomena and applying language to it is extraordinarily difficult, if not an impossible task. So, um, It's, but I mean, all we can do is try, you know, and we need yeah. to try <laughs> to have these I, conversations. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I feel like trying to do that is what we've honestly been doing the whole time. And that is the culture. You know what I mean? It's, exactly. You know, when you look at all of ancient cultures, so many people are like, you know, what did they know? You know, and I really feel like we're just now returning to what they knew. And it's been here all along. You know what I mean? It's, it's the mystical... Right state uh it's the uh 
the importance of how impactful that experience is to us and to what lengths we will go to remember that experience and celebrate that experience and share that experience so much that we would make a pyramid so much that we would make a 200 foot tall dude you know what i mean with a with a a bird head and and a human body because you see these experiences and you can't just step away and say no oh, that was that was funny that was weird it like shakes you to your core and you start to like uh at least for me uh rethink the way that you th- that you perceive the world, you know, in in a whole new way. Like it completely made me see uh, in a a brand new way, linking a lot of things that previously felt like so divided, even like every religion seemed to be arguing before I had this experience. After these experiences, I'm like, Oh, now I see how they're all actually connected. You know what I mean? Right. Unifies things. And that's what boils down to semantics. A lot of the time is what language do you use to describe and articulate this experience? And a lot of times languages aren't cross compatible in the way that we might be able to directly translate words and syntax from English to Spanish. For instance, English and Hebrew are not cross compatible in that same way, like at all. So when we're translating the descriptions of the these experiences from thousands of years ago and different syntaxes than would be used today, etc. A lot of the experience gets lost in translation and that gives rise to dogma, dogmatic beliefs, faith with lack of experience without having these mm-hmm. mystical experiences subjectively and you rely on faith. That's a totally different framework for having a connection to a higher power. Yep. When you haven't had these experiences subjectively, and you're relying on someone else's words, which has been translated countless times, modified, edited, all of that jazz, it, you know, it changes things a lot. And you're right in saying that this is the culture. I mean, the descriptions of experiences, whether they were elicited by entheogens or whether they were spontaneously had, have shaped culture entirely almost. Yep. And, uh, you know, it's a crazy thing to think about. But that's why I'm super excited about this psychedelic renaissance and this, you know, quote unquote, great awakening that seems to be happening where a lot more people uh, seem to be interested in exploring and understanding higher aspects of consciousness, what consciousness is, you know, understanding the fact that we're in here driving these meat suits and, you know, essentially playing the the greatest VR game in the universe, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and when you start diving into trying to understand that, things find their way to you and information luckily finds its way to you and you can start using better internal language and in your internal dialogue to help you form a better understanding of what life and reality really is. Yeah, 1,000%. And it's amazing when you see people really turn their lives around after using these uh, medicines in the right contexts, you know. Certainly, you can use them wrongly and, and, and get a bad experience or whatever, and we can talk about that. But what I wanted to, what came to mind was uh, Mike Tyson is now talking a lot about the toad, 5-MeO-DMT, and as well, just normal DMT. And uh, it's interesting when, when such a you know, iconic figure will come out and and say how much it's changed his life saved his life even um and you know a lot more people are hearing about it these days so if we're not in a in a renaissance of psychedelics i don't know what's going on because i swear like it it seems like every week a new like 
major influencer in the American culture is talking about it. You know, we've, I think I mentioned it last time on the podcast that Kanye West has a song talking about DMT. We have Mike Tyson going on podcasts talking about DMT like every week. Um, so many, Joe Rogan, right? Joe Rogan's one of the biggest names in, in American culture as well on the psychedelic train, you know? So it's, it's interesting that we live in this time and honestly it might be the best time, um, for this because, you know, a lot of people used to say the sixties, the seventies was where it was at. Why wasn't I born then? That was the best time for this culture. But, you know, this might actually be the better time. I don't know. What do you think about the difference between where the psychedelic culture is right now and um, and where it's been in the past? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is the fact that we now have access to the Internet. Almost everyone has access to the Internet and essentially all information all all known things are accessible with a device in your pocket and that changes things drastically off jump street from what was going on in the 60s and the 70s mm-hmm. um you know there was a lot of ringleaders back then timothy leary people like that terence yeah. mckenna and mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the consensus was was built from the people like them rather Mm -hmm. than from people being able to experiment and do their own research and, you know, garnish Mm -hmm. this or that information and draw their own consensus and opinions. Uh, It's just majorly different because of the advent of the internet. I mean, you know, back then, if you wanted like deep information, you'd have to read published research or go spend your time in a library. It's so much different now being able to Google something and, uh, and, and, you know, you can dive as deep as you have the patience for, or the motivation for, you know what I mean? So, um, I mean, we have access to endless information and and of all the things I'm grateful for, that is the number one thing because I'm constantly seeking information. I have like mm. an avid thirst for knowledge Same. and and I just want to learn all the time. And I, I'm blessed in, in the fact that if I'm thinking of a question, any question at all, I can Google it. And in 10 seconds, I have the answer. <laughs> and, and totally. you know, our, our predecessors didn't have that luxury. Right. Yeah, as well, um, for people that are kind of um, self-starters, you know, the, the research is out there for the around the safety and methods as to how to use these medicines properly to get a good experience. And, you know, thank God there's publications out there, things like Arrowhead, that can really tell you about set and setting, dosage, time duration that the experience is going to last, possible adverse effects, neutral effects, positive effects, like... These types of things are super important because back then it was just like, I heard he had a good time. I'm going to try it, you know, instead of, um, you know, doing the research yourself, you know, and I've always been uh, an advocate for doing way more hours of research than you planned on even tripping for. So if you're going to trip for eight hours, you should do like 36 hours of research about that chemical beforehand. You know what I mean? So, uh, when people just like, they don't even look it up, you're, you're in for a wild ride and you're not going to get the the real benefit more than likely, unless you get lucky. Some people certainly get lucky and they end up in a set and setting that's conducive and they end up with friends that are helpful in that space. Um, and they have a good time without doing research, but that's a very small minority. So I really recommend before anyone do any chemical, any psychedelic, um, any plant medicine to do just a ton of research, be more than prepared, you know, um, 
around what things could come up, that especially things like dosage, because that's the one that if you mess up, you, you're, you're, you might be fucked <laughs> a little bit. You're going to have a, an intense time, let's just say. Um, you want to really start low and go upwards. You don't want to like go too high and then scare yourself away from, from ever like trying again, you know? So um, I don't know. That's, that's pretty interesting. Um, wh- what are your thoughts on, on all of this? Yeah, I mean, like I said, you you can you can dive as deep as you have the motivation for. So yeah, I mean, if you're kind of new to the space and you're planning to take a journey, absolutely read till your eyes bleed. And if you're not confident in your research skills or you know, otherwise would rather sit with a sitter, find an experienced facilitator who's practicing with good intentions who you know and trust, who will sit with you and who will guide you through these things, who does have the experience uh, to do so. Yep, 1,000%. Well, um, I definitely consider you, you know, someone who has um, been very uh, well-traversed in the realms, very experienced and pulling good things from it, clearly. I mean, just listen to your music. Um, <laughs> but I want to get into these a couple of these stories um, that you shared when I came to visit you earlier this year um, around the beings that people might meet. And I, I, I mentioned this a little earlier, um, and that it's interesting how a ton of people seem to be meeting the same being um, or a group of beings. And, and one in particular I wanted to start with is these mantis beings. So you had kind of told me a story that I would love for you to share um, around meeting mantis beings a number of times uh, under the uh, guidance of dimethyltryptamine. Um, but then I started, I made a couple of posts asking, has anyone else seen these mantis beings on social media? And we got hundreds and hundreds of comments of people saying, oh yeah, the exact same experience. So I that's kind of that. crazy. Um, and there was even a synchronicity in my life about all of this because I was listening to my friend Mike Brancatelli's podcast. Uh, it's called Mikeadelic. And on an episode towards the later half of the episode, uh, they had been talking about psychedelic mushrooms the whole time. Um, he mentions meeting mantis beings. And so, funny enough, I started texting you, bro, listen to this excerpt on the podcast. They also met mantis beings. At that exact same time, um, one of my friends that you don't even know texted me, a picture. I didn't look at the picture. I sent my message to you. I go back to my messages. I open up the picture from my friend who I had just sent. It's a mantis. A mantis was on his back porch. And he says, look who I found. Um, that was just crazy to me. I was like, what the hell is up with mantises? And I would just love to open the floor and ask for your experience on meeting these mantis beings and maybe what they mean and why these synchronicities keep popping up. Yeah, I mean, before I jump into my Mantis stories, uh, just a, a note on what you're describing with the synchronicities and the Mantis and stuff. I've experienced it personally numerous times, as well as my friends with insect Mantises popping up at crazy times, during crazy times in your life, during a time immediately after one of these encounters with these beings. Um, and, you know, it's funny because uh, for anybody listening, there's a great book, I mean, a great book called The Cosmic Trigger by Robert Anton Wilson. And something that he discusses, spends numerous chapters on, he calls Chapel Perilous. And Chapel Perilous is a time in your life when 
you have begun the pursuit of understanding higher layers and aspects of consciousness and you're all of a sudden hit with all of these synchronicities to the point where you're wondering whether you're just nuts or whether <laughs> there's really some kind of aspect of a higher power or higher dimensionality or, or, or otherwise external force having some something to do with your life and experiences swaying you in some way or another. And so Chapel Perilous is is something that I find not only myself was embedded in, but many people who are who are having these experiences and again who are on that pursuit of higher knowledge. And it's a really funny thing because these things happen and you know based on you know if you make the decision to share it with somebody based on who it is they will think you are nuts sure, sure. and if you find the right person they're like oh yeah me too you know whatever <laughs> yep. but uh it's it's crazy the the web of synchronicities that begins to happen when you get on this path and uh Jano Watts Alan Watts's wife called it the web she mm -hmm. described the same phenomenon that robert anton wilson did mm -hmm. and it was essentially just describing the web of synchronicities that you attract into your life it's almost like life being a mystery game right and once you open your eyes to it and pay attention you can really see plain as day that these things are beyond just regular odds that happen yeah. to you sometimes yeah. on a consistent basis. And it's like, Oh wow. You know? And, and when you look at it and you know, when they happen to me, what I like to do is think deeply about whatever I was thinking about. I typically was sorting something in my head or making a, a decision whenever one of these synchronicities happens to me. And it always helps me kind of make my decision. And I've been doing that for mm. years, like making my decisions based on the, you know, quote unquote clues that I'm getting from the universe. And like I said, some people might think that's nuts, but it, it's clearly it's, working. It's working. It's, <laughs> it's working clearly for working. me. <laughs> it's working. It is. And, and, you know, I mean, I just, I, I do my utmost best to, to live purely with good intentions and, and do things for the collective. And I just want to make timeless music, man. That's like one of my greatest goals in life mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and make music that unifies cultures and timelines and all that jazz. And, uh, yeah. so, you know, I mean, I pay attention to these signs, but sometimes it's like overwhelming the amount of synchronicity that happens to me and, yeah. and, and people close to me too. It's not just me mm -hmm. and, uh, and apparently you, and yep. you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's so magical. And to be honest, it makes life way less boring <laughs> because it's a constant reminder that I live in a, a magical universe, like totally. a, a universe that is a mirror. It, and it's literally mirroring my thoughts and intentions back at me to give me some kind of confirmation that what I'm doing is right, that, that it's going to lead to my most favorable timeline, you know, stuff like that. And uh, yeah, but as far 1, as the... Percent. Oh, I just wanted to comment that you said about, you know, the chance, the, the percent chance that this would happen. Like, what is the percentage chance that a, a manis would appear on my back, my friend's back, your, uh, back porch, and then as well him take a picture and send it to me at the exact time I'm messaging someone else about mantises? It's such an off topic. It could have been a cat. It could have been a dog. It could have been anything, but it was a mantis insect on his back porch. There are no the chances. Time. There's, <laughs> there yeah, there's like 0.0000001% chance that that would happen in my mind anyway. 
And it's a clear wink from the universe when that does happen. And um, I've had a, just numerous of those experiences. I know a lot of people out there are having them as well. And particularly once they're activated, once they're turned on by something, some spiritual awakening of some sort, you know, and we know psychedelics are good at doing that, but certainly you can have them uh, in, in other ways as well. But just that, yeah, like that pure, like slim chance of these like things happening. That's why they're special. I don't think we're out here like connecting like, dude, like I saw a green light there and then a green light there and a green light there. It's like, yo, that's the green light of traffic, right? It's like, of course you would see that, you know, but like these other things is like very rare. You don't just see manises all day, every day. They're very rare. You know, when you see them, it's special, but like the fact that you see them all the time, I think I remember you saying a number of your friends see them all the time. Now I'm seeing them. I never saw them until I met you. <laughs> and now I've seen like three or four in in my at my house. I've never once seen a manis at my house. I saw one the other day and I sent you a picture of one. And again, my friend had as well. So I don't know. Manises are that they're out there. They have something to do with psychedelics. I don't know what it is. But yes, tell us about um, meeting mantises. Yeah, it's almost like the insect version is some kind of interdimensional camera or some shit. Might be. It's wild, man. But yeah, (laughs) uh, the first time, so, okay, so this was in 2014, and, uh, oh my God, that's six years ago now. I'm sorry, seven years ago. It's nuts. Mm -hmm. Um, So, this was the first time I had an encounter that I knew right when I entered the experience that this is of, like, an interdimensional extraterrestrial nature and that's because when i entered the space i was smoking dmt and when i entered the space it it was not psychedelic at all it was like i was somewhere else and i was in what we would consider to be like a classic spacecraft there were control panels there was a window and i could see planets and stars and when i looked over to my right it was, there was three giant, like eight or nine foot tall praying mantis insectoid beings standing up. And this was my first time seeing them. I had never heard of them in the past. Mm. And I was like, whoa. And I I wasn't, (laughs) I wasn't fearful or anything like that, but the experience was so different. Like I said, it was like I was in this craft. It wasn't like all the psychedelia and the, and the fractals and, you know, all that jazz. And one of them was wearing clothes, which is also reported by other people. And there are also, for anybody listening, there are countless abductee reports with these mm-hmm. mantid beings. It doesn't okay. require the use of entheogens, um, but obviously entheogens get you there. And most of these abductee reports tend to happen during sleep paralysis, which you know we think is most likely mediated by indigenous DMT in your brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... Anyway, so I look over here and there's a control panel. Here's the mantis standing over here to the right. Three of them. One of them was up front and above the control panel, like floating like four inches above the panel was an orange fiery ball. It looked just like a little bitty sun. And the mantid being looked at me and just like other people say, even the abductees, when he looked at me, I got the sense that this creature was just ancient like crazy old and crazy intelligent and he looked at me and it calmed me down it was almost like he like iv'd me with xanax or something he like he like and not that i was like hyper excited but i felt this crazy wave of relaxation 
that way I could pay attention to what he was trying to say. That's what it felt like. He was calming me down so that I could focus on his message. And when I looked at the little sun thing floating above the control panel, he was zapping to me this information that like the sun is the fundamental catalyst of evolution of our collective consciousness on this planet. And he took his little mantis hand and poked this ball. And when he poked it, it was like a flashbang went off. Like my whole field division went white and then it imploded back into itself. Like I couldn't see anything. It was like looking at a welding arc and then it went boom and it imploded back into itself. And the concept he started zapping to me was that solar flares and coronal mass ejections cause changes in consciousness on the planet and he also zapped to me that certain souls are incarnated at certain times in order to bring change to the planet and stuff and yeah. uh that led me down a multi-year rabbit hole which led me to i didn't say this on our last podcast but i mentioned the article on the last podcast i didn't say what inspired it but that right. is the experience that inspired a really long article that I wrote and published on Medium about the sun uh, as it relates to rioting, as it relates to some world events that were going on and COVID. And uh, it was inspired by research that I did after that experience when I was like, okay, this felt way too real, way too convincing. I need to dig and see if I can find anything to verify what these mantis were telling me as far as solar flares affecting human consciousness. And I found a lot. And that's why I felt compelled to write that article in June of 2020, uh, right whenever the George Floyd protests were like up in arms. Yeah. And uh, I found, and, and I wrote the article. It took me like, three four days to compile all the the research and write the article and my stance on it and uh i did that and i cited a whole lot of scientific literature that has been describing this phenomena since the 70s been published in nature magazine and citing back to the 13 and 1400s about solar flares affecting all kinds of stuff that i spoke of in our last podcast yes. but uh yeah, it was crazy. Amazing. So that, yeah. Amazing. I want to talk more about other Mantis encounters, but on that front, I actually had a, a vision as well of the sun. Um, it was a it was a mystical vision, and I don't exact you know, psychedelically induced. Um, I don't know if it has any overlap with what you're discussing, but it, it it's certainly about the sun. And what I saw was a, a sun uh wave or ray you know those things that that come out of the sun is like a a whip tail it looks like it comes out and it's like whoosh, you know um in this vision i saw the sun reached out and sent an energy ray and wave to the earth that actually activated a number of people's kundalini um and kundalini energy is known as an energy of an of awakening that uh uncoils from the root of the spine up the spine through the energy centers also known as chakras um, up to the pineal and pituitary glands and out through the crown of the head and you have like an awakening experience more or less and it's just an interesting thing that i had that as well um an experience of, of understanding the sun as some type of consciousness generator amplifier enhancer thing uh mystical being more or less like in this vision that the sun wasn't just a ball of magma it was actually like a mystical 
being, uh, a spirit of some sort. Um, really hard to describe, but you know, that was interesting. And, uh, I, I saw again, like this whip, it was like, it was almost like a whip where you go, whoops, and it sent the ray to earth. And at that exact moment, a, like, let's say a thousand people's Kundalini awakened. Um, certainly not everyone has awakened Kundalinis. There's a number of things that can cause that. But uh, what does this all uh, bring up for you? Well, what you're describing firstly is the whip. That That's what solar flares look like. They're like gigantic explosions on the surface of the sun on its corona that happen at the the midlines of overlapping magnetic fields and it causes these gigantic explosions the like with the magnitude of billions of tons of tnt and what happens is these explosions output all kinds of radiation x-rays everything and when they hit the earth they interact with the earth's magnetic field so this is this phenomena is the sun's magnetic field interacting with the earth's magnetic field now if you take a second and think about what we are as these psychosensory co-creative space-time coordinates one of the things that mediates that about ourselves is that we our nervous system is mediated via electromagnetism and obviously everyone or most people are familiar with brain waves, which are the electromagnetic frequencies at which our brain cells are oscillating and, and firing electromagnetically. And uh, so we are embedded electromagnetically in the Earth's magnetic field. And the sun, it, it's kind of like the sun's way of talking to the Earth, right? In mm -hmm. its overall electromagnetic field, again, of which we are embedded in. So it makes total sense that when th those magnetic fields interact, that it would have an effect on consciousness. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's quite possible, and I dove into this in the article, that consciousness itself is housed within magnetic fields because magnetism yeah. is a, 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 an electromagnetism are just like magical forces. It, it, it's crazy. And, uh, yeah. And, and it seems that the connection between the consciousness of the sun, which I do believe at this point that the sun is a conscious entity, yeah. uh, can interfere and interact with the consciousness of humans and inhabitants of the earth via totally. that way. I guess I almost wonder is if it is, is it location based, you know, like did that whip tail, just so happened to hit an area and then people um, got a boost in consciousness, otherwise known as a Kundalini awakening, that type of thing, or, or, or what it could, how, how it might, you know, target certain individuals. I'm not sure because it, in this vision I had, it wasn't everyone. It wasn't everyone on earth had a Kundalini awakening. The, the vision I saw was, it was something like a thousand people. Uh, it was, I could almost, you know, in, in these states of consciousness, you, you can kind of, see a lot more things than you're typically able to see. And it was almost like a global view that I saw um, where like hot spots were popping up of Kundalini awakening more or less. And it wasn't a ton of them. It was just like a very, it was like a very few, you know, like a thousand people on the, in the grand scheme of the earth is a very small percentage, but, um, but that is actually a lot of beings awakening. And I wonder if that's actually, uh, I don't even know how we would go about trying to research this but but how how many people awaken per day you know i wonder that question you know i wonder if we could put out a uh a poll out there and 
the psychedelic ether web and and find out how uh, roughly how many people are awakening each day. I don't know. That's a funny topic, but I mean, um, step one would be defining the term awakening. I mean, what does awakening really mean? Does that carry a, a, a concise definition? I mean, I don't that's know. true. It, yeah, I guess it could mean different things to different people. But in my mind, awakening is realizing that you're an infinite being uh, in a uh, temporary meat suit and a temporary experience, but you're actually so much, uh, you're eternal. You know, you're so much more than what we think we are. We're, we're almost God's manifest, you know, and that could make people... Uh, you know, I don't know. We're almost like a subset of God. I, I don't really know exactly how to how to put words to it, but um, it's almost like understanding that you are one with everyone, and that we're all uh, receiving the same signal of consciousness, and that no one's better than anyone else, and we're all just here trying on this karmic path, and we've all been dealt certain karmic cards, and we're here to to learn from those and um yeah, essentially evolve um for the next time around um whatever that may be what are your thoughts yeah. on that yeah i mean everything you said that's uh it's a pretty good definition i'd say Dope. uh one of the things that makes me reflect on is the law of one which is probably the most concise and consistent spiritual text that I've ever read in my life by a landslide. And what it describes is, or one of the things it describes is the different levels of creation. And, oh, that's what you said. It was a sub sub. You said a sub a subset sub. of God. Yeah. A subset of God. Okay. So the way that the law of one describes that is it actually calls these things logos, which are the creative principles, right? So, mm. uh, and that there are sub-logos and sub-sub-logos and sub-sub-logos. So going again back to the co-creative space-time coordinates thing, the Love One describes the black hole at the center of the galaxies as one logos, and then the stars within the galaxies as a sub-logos, and then yeah. the planet has a sub-sub-logos, and the planet's inhabitants as sub-sub-sub-logos, meaning <laughs> yep. essentially different different layers of creators, right? Because, and another thing I described in that article is, this is not dogmatic, nor does it require belief. The sun and stars in general are our creators. The complex elements required to form both the earth and our bodies and water and everything were formed from single protons via fusion in the centers of car of su stars and suns and were sneezed out into space via these coronal mass ejections and solar flares that we're talking about to get us here in the first place so before that before you reach the layer of creation of a star there's only hydrogen and helium and other gases that are very simple and it's only within the cores of these stars that the pressure is so intense that these atoms fuse together to form more complex elements like oxygen and carbon, and nitrogen, etc. Yeah. And then those elements have to get sneezed out into space via these big explosions. And then they go on to form planets, water, life, and all that jazz. So literally, from a physics sense, the sun is our creator. It creates us. <laughs> and then we co-create the reality based on 
existing based on being here. Okay, well, now I'm a creator. Now I'm going to create a, a reality in life, you know, on, on a level yep. underneath the stars. It's That's crazy. It. That's crazy. Out, it is. And, and, and when you zoom out, it, it, it really brings a lot of stuff into perspective as to how infinite this universe is, man, because there's no telling how many layers up that goes and how many layers right. down it goes, you know? Yep. Almost infinite. I mean, that's what I've always said. It was funny. One of my earlier psychedelic experiences, it was like just a, a, a truth unveiled to me that you could never get to the bottom of anything or the top of anything. Like you can look into microscopes and it's going to get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller forever. You can never actually find the bottom of reality the bottom of an atom. You can look with telescopes as far out as you can see. You'll never find the point. It's all infinite. You know, you look through a black hole. It's just going to be infinite. Um, yeah, it's funny how this... Go ahead. That makes me reflect on like two different quotes. One of them is Alan Watts talking about the more powerful microscopic instruments we develop, the smaller and smaller the universe has to get in order to escape the investigation. It's yep. one of my favorite quotes. And he goes on <laughs> to say, life is uh, an experience to be had, not a reality to be investigated or something along those lines. A thousand percent. Einstein also said something like, uh, what is it? He said, um, Anybody, anybody can make or say something that's really complex, but it takes a genius to make something simple. Yeah. It, referring to our ability to semantically describe things. Like, like gravity, physics. you know? Yeah, to where anybody can understand it. Right. And, you know, that's why philosophy is so cool, because it takes all of these concepts and turns them into, like, archetypal thought forms that can be boiled down and reduced into something that like you can appreciate from from anywhere wherever you're at you know what i mean so yeah. uh but yeah it's it's crazy man we live in a crazy universe i know it's Glad so awesome here. and magical you know like that's i don't know why i like to share these stories and this podcast and and do everything i do is that you know because i know so many people are out there bored they're like just they're just you know, trying to be entertained, like endlessly searching for entertainment. And I don't know, once this path unfolded for me, my, my level of boredom like dropped by like a massive percentage. You know what I mean? Like I went from like 90% bored to like 5% bored. You know what I mean? <laughs> because, you know, certainly you just get exhausted and tired and you just want to zone out and watch a good anime or a good movie or whatever from time to time. Like that's fine. You know, that's self care in a certain way. But when 90% of your, uh, day is is around escaping this beautiful magic reality and just kind of you know you know escaping you know playing video games endlessly watching Netflix endlessly scrolling on Instagram endlessly like you know like those are all beautiful parts of life but uh, you're you're looking for something constantly and I don't know like for me like life has become so much more interesting so much more fun so much more like I have a role in it. And that I'm not afraid to like try new things and, and put myself out there and these types of things. And I don't know, it's, it's very rewarding for me to do that. Um, so I recommend, you know, people that aren't in the group of, of people that will have adverse reactions to psychedelics and plant medicines to really research this and see if it's something that you could benefit from, you know, if you're feeling anxious or depressed or, or you know, just lackluster about life because certainly there's a ton of beautiful experiences just 
right beneath your nose. It's <laughs> it's crazy, but uh, we kind of got off the trail a little bit. Let, let's uh let's rewind back to um, some more mantis stories. You've also met um, these mantises on a number of other times. Is that right? Yeah, correct. And so have uh, friends of mine mm-hmm. who who I've shared ceremonies with. Um, yeah, they're. It's a crazy phenomenon. And like I said, a lot of people have experienced these with ayahuasca, with freebase DMT. Um, it's it's crazy. They seem to be depicted on cave paintings. There are numerous mm-hmm. cave paintings that really resemble mantid like way more than anything else it could be. Right. And uh, it's it's crazy. It does, it's not a new thing. This has been happening. And for anybody listening, these being encounters have been happening for tens Mm -hmm. of thousands of years they're most likely one of the fundamental roots of a lot of mythologies uh even though a lot of these you know quote-unquote deities that um are spoken about in mythologies might have different names that's really just the different cultural lenses that gave them the names whereas you know a lot of these cultures were consuming entheogenic substances and having these encounters with these beings and what strikes me is that oftentimes, even though the being may have a different name, its behavior and its message are often the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a crazy thing to reflect on. And um, you know, another thing was after another experience I had on Easter of 2014, I opened up a conversation with Dr. Rick Strassman, who conducted the Strassman trials, IVing DMT into participants in the 90s, mm-hmm. and. Uh, when I asked him why they stopped it, because they cut the trials short, there was, mm-hmm. I mean, this is, the, these studies were the basis of the book DMT, The Spirit Molecule, mm-hmm. uh, and the, which is also a documentary now, as you know. Oh, yeah. And uh, when I asked him why they stopped, he said that they weren't prepared for the being encounters and that he didn't feel like it was fair to continue exposing his research subjects to them before they understood it. So they pulled the plug because yeah. so many of these people were having direct encounters with these beings and no one was prepared for that. We we're like, whoa, you know? So, right. but right. yeah, it's a, it's a crazy thing. <clears throat> yeah. It, it really seems to give um, some weight to these beings the the fact that several people are meeting them it's not just one person meeting them and um i think you're there were alluding to the short uh, a story you shared with me when i visited an amazing story honestly one of the most mind-blowing stories i've ever heard and it would be amazing to uh dive into right now about um around easter you had encountered uh anubis and this being that told you his name was yahweh um, and we, you know, people that are familiar with uh, the Old Testament of the Bible, I believe, know that Yahweh is the being that gave the Ten Commandments to Moses on Mount uh, Sinai. Um, and let's just let's just hear hear this explanation from you about how, how Anubis came to you and gave you some information, and then as well this Yahweh being. Yeah. Okay. So this is gonna kind of be long but i gotta i gotta concisely illustrate the whole thing so this experience first of all is tattooed on my arm now okay you can see anubis right there holding dna and this is the burning bush from the bible and uh so essentially and the reason i got it tattooed was because at this point in my life 
I was trying to figure out whether these beings were latent aspects of the subconscious mind, like archetypes that were imprinted in us somehow, or whether they were truly autonomous, externally existing beings from ourselves. And, you know, at the same time, it's probably wiser to not get lost in those thoughts and to just accept the message for what it is, whatever they we have to say, focus on that rather than trying to dissect what they are. But right. um, I'll digress. So this started on Easter 2014, um, early a.m., like 2 or 3 a.m. in the morning, the first one. Uh, so nighttime, basically, but early morning Easter. And I was smoking DMT. Um, in my studio and I was like testing out a track that I was working on and all of a sudden with my eyes open Anubis from Egyptian culture like materialized in the middle of my studio and this dude was straight head banging as if to like <laughs> give my track approval it was nuts and he had like these little planets and moons like orbiting him mm-hmm. and I just had my eyes open the whole time which is pretty unusual and uh he zapped me these names like all at once and they were Ishtar, Inanna, Isis, Astarte and uh, like all these it was probably like six or seven names and I was just like whoa and that was kind of it but he very clearly like imprinted those names into me so Mm -hmm. when I came back I googled Ishtar and uh Turns out she's the Babylonian goddess of love, sex, and fertility. Her One of her symbols is the egg, uh, like Easter egg. And I was wow. like, whoa, and this happened on Easter. And so that was like my first clue because I had been seeking like, okay, well, if you're, if, if you're not some aspect of my subconscious, like, Get, tell me something I don't know. Tell me something I couldn't possibly know. Mm-hmm. And I had never heard that name in my life. And, you know, the, the, correlation with easter and stuff it was blowing my mind and uh so fast forward a little bit to that morning once the sun came up uh Mm -hmm. i was in a different room and my living room and in my old house my back window and i mean my back wall in my living room was like a giant window Mm -hmm. and uh so i was smoking dmt oxide which is the orange waxy dmt that never seems dry it's not a powder (laughs) and uh so it uh immediately whenever whenever I entered the space, the whole like as Terrence McKenna calls it, the chrysanthemum, that kind of tunnel situation you go through as the experience is just beginning, that faded off like to the bottom as if like a curtain moved this way. It was like I bypassed that and mm-hmm. there was this gigantic being. I was seeing him from profile, so like this, and he was sitting with like a hand like this. And uh, yeah. and like a leg halfway up, the exact same way you see some portraits of Ganesh sitting. Yep. And he was sitting in a stone throne with no back, and he had it was like orange gold, like shimmering, like pearlescent, like kind of colors of the rainbow shimmering. And he had a giant headdress on. Wow. And I immediately got the sense, like this time, that this guy was like not part of my subconscious. I just mm-hmm. felt this very distinct feeling that this was something separate from me. And uh, and the vibe was crazy different. And mind you, this is on Easter morning. Yep. And I said, that was the first thing I said. I said, I can tell you're not part of me. What can I call you? Mm-hmm. And he said, my name is Yahweh. I give you permission to say it out loud. And that was kind of weirding me out because I had never heard the name Yahweh in my whole life. And 
like, why do I need permission? But I opened my eyes and I said, Yahweh. And right when I said it, these birds in real life came and landed, like multiple birds came and landed on my back windowsill because I had a big window for a wall and started yapping, like making crazy noise. And I was like, whoa, like it was just crazy because it was the instant I said it, they came and landed and started chirping. And I was like, whoa. And uh, essentially another little weird thing happened with with like my TV and stuff because he said, he said, say it again and so i said it again and my tv like did this crazy thing where it went off the screensaver mode and, wow. and uh and i was like whoa this is this is incredible like what are you and he said yahweh again and when he said yahweh the last time the i saw it visually spelled out in english like i knew how to spell it but yeah. it was like another multi-stable perception the same letters in english were also it in hebrew it was like the tetragrammaton, yod Hey vav Hey, the, the Hebrew letters, how Yahweh is written in the Bible. Right. At the time, I had no idea what Yahweh was, nor that this was the deity from the Bible. Yeah. But he, and, and I said, this is incredible. What are you? And he said, I am one of many, but I am almighty. And he vanished, right? Kind of weird. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And when he vanished, my whole experience ended. There was no come down effects. There was no like 10 minutes of winding down. There was no visuals, none of that. And, uh, it was super crazy. And so I was like, whoa, like whatever that was, it just like had some birds yapping at my windowsill. So I'm going to figure this out. Right. Yeah. And so I started Googling like Yahweh and stuff. And I just like prematurely like fired off an email to Rick Strassman. Like I was like, dude, this just happened. Like you got any context for me here? Cause this was nuts. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and another thing that was like blowing through my brain oddly was, the connection between the letter Y and J, like there was this weird thing. And later on, I was able to reflect like Yahweh, yod heh vav and then Jehovah, like this, it's like the same thing, right? But right. ultimately, Rick Strassman told me, he said, get a good copy of the Hebrew Bible with a good English commentary, read it, see if it is the, see if it, the Yahweh of the Bible resonates with the being that you encountered. And I was like, like like, why are you saying that and like i finally realized only after sending that email that this being was the deity from the old testament right and i was like whoa wow and and it turns out that mount sinai where he gave moses the ten commandments is still to this day covered in acacia nalotica bushes which is africa's one of africa's dmt bearing plants yeah and so you know i've done a whole lot of reflection on that and honestly i just want to be like super clear i do not in any way shape or form think that this being is god at all i do think that it is the being that moses spoke to uh on mount sinai and did receive the ten commandments from but i do not think it's god my concept of god is not condensed into some single being right but um but you know what's crazy is the gnostic christianity test text kind of frame Yahweh as you know somewhat of the opposite of God to be honest they call him the demiurge mm-hmm. which is it gets kind of deep but uh it's not that not that it's evil in any way shape or form but that it's mm-hmm. a super unbalanced masculine creative energy wow. that has separated itself from the feminine from Sophia and yeah. uh and that it's ignorant and that uh and, the, you know, they think that, you know, if you look at the Ten Commandments, uh, that mm-hmm. as opposed to a doctrine that is 
designed to guide people to like live their best life and and really instill morals uh, right. on people that it's more of a socio-political control mechanism totally. uh, that and and you know another lame another name for Yahweh not to get like off on a religious tangent here but another name for Yahweh is Samael which means god of the blind and mm. i think that uh you know again i don't want to get too deep into this but i i think that this thing is kind of like a, a mechanism for for faith Mm-hmm. as opposed to seeking subjective experience yeah. uh and and it it kind of gets kind of crazy because you know back back to the the psychedelic and the mystical experience thing that we were talking about earlier yeah these substances these entheogens the word entheogen entheo means god gen means to generate so entheogen means it generates experiences of god that's what the word means Totally. From an etymology standpoint, back to to, to the notion of having mystical experiences, the cool thing about entheogens is that unlike religion, they do not require a lick of faith. You do not have to believe anything I'm telling you right now. If you consume this, and I'm not advocating like, hey, go do this. I'm just saying it's a fact. If You don't have to believe me. If you were to consume this substance, you would very likely have an experience similar to one that I'm describing right now. Right. It doesn't require faith. You can have this subjectively yourself, whereas religious and dogmatic belief structures require blind faith they require belief based on somebody else's word of an experience that they had that connected them with god whereas right. we are hardwired biologically to have our own experiences that directly connect you to the higher aspects of consciousness in the universe you know if you want to label that god cool if not mm-hmm. oh well you still get that feeling that undeniable feeling that you are connected to everything and that everything is connected to everything and that space is is a material it's not it's not just emptiness right and 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 that some quantum field which hasn't been described yet that's why everybody's fighting over a new theory of everything every year but something that we haven't been able to put our finger on is is threading and weaving everything together at every point in space and time mm-hmm. and these substances elicit the experience that 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 is true absolutely but, yeah. and it makes sense that they would be you know pushed underground and and through religion uh you know demonized because they were the experiences that the religion was written about and you know, they don't want people to have direct access because then their their book isn't as, isn't going to sell as well. You know what I mean? Like, hey, the reason that this book is so dope is because only I can access this being. You guys can't access this being, you know? Right. Uh, you can only hear about it uh, through through me, you know, the, the prophet. Um, and it's so interesting. And I totally believe that, you know, you met that same being that uh, Moses met and he would meet it and think it, it was God. Because I'm sure Moses wasn't a psychedelic tripper guy. He probably had one psychedelic experience in his life, and that was it. Um, It was a DMT vision, maybe. You know, who knows? But let's just say it was the one that sealed in his mind enough that, hey, I'm going to put this Ten Commandments together, and hey, I'm going to push this as a a philosophy. And, you know, it got carried away with, and we know that 
uh, Christianity has been elaborated upon and and way. Uh, interestingly, I don't mean to cut you off, but interestingly enough, since you brought up the word Christianity, yeah, one of the things I meant to say was upon reading the Old Testament, like I have no concept as to why both of those books are called the Bible. The Old Testament and the New Testament are entirely different stories totally. and yeah, backing yeah. up to the Gnostic Christianity's version, which is like a lot different than what most people know of Christianity. Mm-hmm. They think that Jesus came here to save earth from this Yahweh character, not, not to proclaim him as God, that the God wow. of Jesus was an entirely different you know, construct of God and conceptualization of God than, yes. than Yahweh was. But carry that on, makes sorry. a lot of sense to me because I think of Jesus, take it with a grain of salt, but from what I understand, Jesus uh, left um, his, you know, where he grew up at around age 13. Don't quote me on that. I'm not super versed on this, but, uh, you know, let's say a teenager, early teenager, and he came back when he was 30. Now, there's a lot of... Um, debate and conversation around where did he go? What, what did he do for those fif- roughly 15 years? Um, a lot of people say he went to India. He studied with yogis and mystics, and he had experiences of the divine. And um, then he came back and he shared that story. And yes, his vision of God was probably much different than the vision of God in the Old Testament. So it is interesting. It's almost like they just wanted to piggyback on how how well the Old Testament Bible sold <laughs> and say, let's just throw this new chapter in. You know what I mean? Because, yeah, really, they are very different. Um, and it's funny, earlier how you said about how the Yahweh being kind of was a, a more, um, you know, not such a uh, enlightening being, a little more dogmatic, a little more... Um, authoritarian with the commandments that he gave. It makes sense to me because I actually never really resonated with the Old Testament. Even when I was a kid, even when they would teach it to me, um, I I resonated more with the teachings of Jesus, of forgiveness and these types of things, you know, before I had my own mystical experiences and considered myself more as a spiritual but not religious person. Um, But yeah, I never really resonated with the Old Testament. It just felt I don't know, too serious, too scary, too, you're doomed to hell if you do, if you do one bad thing, you know what I mean? And, um, that makes sense that he's kind of more of a fear, maybe a fear inducer, um, type of being than, than a, uh, Buddha or a Lao Tzu or, you know, um, some of these other beings that seem to empower you a little more and give you some, uh, philosophical insight on how to live a good life. Um, and, and instead said, listen to me or are you damned? You know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, that's the major difference between the old and the new Testament is like the, the things that Yahweh proclaimed were, you know, more along the lines of like, idolize me, give me all your power, idolize no one else, but me, which by the way, the first commandment as Aeolus Kephas said in a amazing book called, um, homo serpians, an occult history of DNA from Eden to Armageddon. Mm -hmm. He claims that the first commandment is the most radical sentence ever written because as it says, there shall be no other God before me, Mm -hmm. uh, that entirely removes the notion of a goddess. Like it totally casts away the feminine aspect of creation, the feminine creative power. But anyway, the, 
what I was saying was the main difference between Yahweh and Jesus' teachings. And another reason why they shouldn't be called the same book is this Yahweh guy is saying, give me all your power, idolize me, worship me. He was jealous when that didn't happen. He was wrathful. This is all in the book. If you haven't read mm -hmm. the Old Testament, like maybe read it because it's a crazy book. <laughs> yep. And then the new, you know, the teachings of Jesus in, in the New Testament is, is, more like literally giving you a moral compass. If you can decode the fables and the stories and, and mm -hmm. it's to step it, the main idea is to step into your own power with humility and be humble and be kind to everybody else. Like that's a message I can get behind, but this yep. first book is kind of nuts, you know? Totally. In my that's opinion. wild, man. That's wild. And I've talked about this a bunch on my show about how, you know, the people who started the earliest mystical traditions, religions, these types of things, um, a lot of them probably didn't know that psychedelics were what the catalyst was for their mystical experience, for God appearing to them, for some entity appearing to them. They might have just, you know, been hungry and someone gave them some soup, a couple mushrooms in it, no big deal, I like mushrooms, let's eat them. Three hours later, God appeared to me, like... You know, they don't connect the two. They don't connect the mushrooms. They don't connect that that put them in an altered state to receive this heightened experience uh, as well. Things like the acacia bush um, containing a lot of DMT, these types of things. You, in, you inhale those, you know, you go into a cave where they're burning it for firewood and you're inhaling large quantities of this smoke just trying to stay warm. Who knows what might happen? You know what I mean? So that's interesting that I feel like, you know, having had psychedelic experiences, it feels very clear to me that these experiences have been around for thousands and thousands of years. And in fact, uh, probably that I, I feel like there's a higher chance that it was psychedelic experiences that gave the founders of mystical traditions their understanding, their knowledge, their wisdom that they then went on to write books about um, versus the idea that it was just actually you know, a sober experience and actually God parted the, the, the sea and came and, you know, like did, did these like these feats that are just, they almost defy logic. Uh, I can see them not defying logic if psychedelics are in, included in the mix. And in fact, it gives a lot of weight and understanding as to how people had these experiences. Right. Do you agree with that? Yeah, totally. And, you know, I mean, it's hard to say. I, I'm not, personally familiar with the exact entheogens that were being used at a particular timeline in Africa. But, you mm -hmm. know, we know that these these plants were being intentionally used for at least tens of thousands of years in places like the Amazon rainforest, uh, yeah. but, you know, based on ayahuasca cups that, that we find with residue of, of ayahuasca in them that are dated right. back that far. And so this is before the advent of what we call religion today. I mean, mm -hmm. this was this was just simply, you know, quote unquote, the Soma. This was their way of connecting back to, to the source of consciousness, right? Right. And, uh, you know, it gets a little harder to decode when you get into like, when you cross the Atlantic and go over to Europe and well, it's right. okay, they were playing with Amanita muscaria and they were playing, you know, there was the Kaikian and, and, mm -hmm. and those types of things and the Eleusidian Mysteries and, you know, a lot of that dealing with ergot, uh, which is uh, right. something that LSD is, is closely related to LSD. Right. And uh, But, you know, I, I haven't personally stumbled across any 
like pure evidence of what plants or entheogens were being consumed in Africa and, and around Africa and like Israel around that time. I know yeah. they were using cannabis a lot uh, yeah. in various ways, but as far as what we what we call psychedelics, more often than not, uh, I'm not mm -hmm. sure. But you know, Syrian right. rue is is really is is all over the place over there, as well as the acacia trees, which are DMT bearing. So. Right. Absolutely. Well, I mean, back in the day, you know, before technology and highways and you, it, it's like a weeks long travel to leave your town. You know, I think people were pretty in touch with the nature around them, um, the, the foods, the medicines, the, the, the plants, all the stuff and um, certainly trying stuff out. You know what I mean? Uh, that was maybe their Netflix. Hey, let's try this one out. We haven't tried this out, you know, <laughs> but I'm just saying there's a lot more time back then for experimenting with different plants um medicine yeah, there was there was way way less stimuli right there was way less comfort and there yep. was a lot more of a reason to like ponder the afterlife like yes how did we get here like a lot of times here people here because there's so much experience to be had so much stimuli so much comfort luxury for some it, it's easy to to just be so embedded in this reality that those things are secondary, like the afterlife, mm -hmm. higher levels of consciousness, because you're so embedded in this game, right? And yeah. uh, and you don't really, you might not have the necessity or the, or the reason to like ponder it super hard, not nearly as hard as they did, you know? Totally. So. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think that's what we're getting back to and we need to because depression is at an all-time high because people aren't connected to what they are. They're a piece of nature. We're tribal. You know what I mean? Like we're supposed to be in community. We're supposed to be with the trees, with our feet on the ground, you know, um, in the, in the actual natural flowing water, you know, like these very like, uh, basic things that people just get away from when they wonder why they're sad. You know, well, you've stayed in a box for the past two weeks straight. No wonder you don't feel great. You haven't even seen the sun for 30 minutes, you know? So it, and these are all things we know, but it's just, it's easy to, uh, be distracted because, you know, social media, Netflix, all the stuff, YouTube, everything under the sun is competing for our attention and they're really good at getting it. In fact, they've got scientists on board and, how do we make them stay longer on Instagram? You know what I mean? Like that they've developed that into the, 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 the technology itself. So uh, everything's making a ton of sense with, with what you're saying. And it's super awesome to get to share that story. It's super profound. Um, but I will say that I don't think just anyone can meet Yahweh. I think that the reason it happened for you is because you were prepared. You had done your research. You had had practice and traveling and traversing these realms. Um, you're very grounded. You've, you've kind of worked on uh, multi-level energetic development. Um, and and I, we could get into the law of one a little bit, which you mentioned earlier about how to actually um, be safe in these spaces. And that's not by bypassing the lower aspects of life and then just going solely for these Ajna chakra crown chakra activations and then loving that and staying there and not integrating and not using these other aspects of life. Now, um, what was it about the law of one that resonated with you? Um, and let's just like maybe give the audience a little bit of an overview of, of what the law of one is. So the law of one is it's, it is a channeling, which usually I'm 
super not resonant with channeled material, but this is by far different in the sense that many of the truths that are presented in the material are self-evident, which is really rare, especially in anything spiritual related, when you could read this not knowing it was channeled or whatever, or you know, it could even be a hoax, and it would be equally mind-blowing. I personally believe that it's real. There's immense context as to how they made this happen. This happened in the 80s. Uh, three people, Don Elkins, Carla Rukart, and Jim McCarty. Uh, Carla Rukart was the channel. Um, she's written numerous books on channeling as well. And, uh, you can read the whole material for free online at the law of one.info. Um, mm-hmm. it is a series of question and answers, a whole lot of them. And, uh, the being that they made contact with called itself Ra, like the Ra from Egypt. And, uh, it describes itself as a sixth density social memory complex which is basically equivalent to the human collective consciousness acting as one mind it basically says that it is its whole civilization that evolved basically to into unity to be one mind one consciousness with all of its collective experiences and wisdom embedded within itself so it can function as one being but it you know again contains the collective experience of a whole lot of beings well um the thing that makes the law of one so special is its use of language. It is so articulate and concise that what does it for me is that it reframes a lot of notions that are described in various mystical texts or philosophy systems uh, into much better and more concise and more approachable language that doesn't feel dogmatic. It feels more like science than religion or spirituality. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it so special to me and uh, and a lot of people who find it. And um, yeah. so essentially what you were talking about doing the work on lower centers and stuff like that. I mean, if we're going to be real here, a lot of, a lot of people, especially in Western culture, they don't even know that there's work to be done until their first, you know, groundbreaking psychedelic experience or otherwise spiritual revelation where they realize that like they're fucked up in some way (laughs) or another and have Mm -hmm. shit to do to fix it. right? Right. And, you know, after having one of those experiences, it's like, well, what, what do you do? do? Do you, okay, now you know what the work is. Like, do you do it or not? And a lot of times it's something that is addressed in the law of one is that when people have that, which I'll get to in a minute, have that indigo ray or pineal gland experience and don't reapproach and integrate what they learn during that experience into the lower energy centers, which I'll also explain in a second, that it can somewhat fry your quote-unquote spiritual circuitry and it can be harder to repair than later and it won't open you up to the to the higher layers of experiences that are possible uh using your biology whether that's through exogenous compounds like dmt or ayahuasca or whether that's through your own endogenous production of these materials um but the law of one for me really concisely reframed the notion of chakras Um, which everybody here is familiar with chakras. I kind of had my reservation about the whole thing uh, before finding this material, essentially because of the language that was being used to describe them. didn't really resonate with me, but uh, Ra in the Law of One material describes them more or less as 
energy centers. There are seven of them, which are, you know, obviously aligned with a color of light. There are seven colors of light that are visible in, in the visible wavelength for us. Right. I mean, uh, that are visible wavelengths of light in the spectrum for us. And uh, so what's important is that you don't really have to think about these energy centers, quote unquote, as being aligned with physical parts of your body. I personally have come to believe that they are correlated with our endocrine system, our hormone producing glands, because right. as we know, our production of hormones go balanced or unbalanced and they have certain effects on our behavior. This is fact. Yep. But the best way to frame it, in my opinion, is to not worry about the order from you know bottom to top or the colors or anything, but to understand each energy center's um, definition as it relates to one aspect of being a human, of the human condition. So essentially the the red ray energy center according to the law of one which is correlated with the root chakra mm -hmm. deals in survival the need to eat uh sexual reproduction and the will to live it's like the number one thing that grounds you into the fact that you're like a physical meat suit right right moving up to the orange ray as ra calls it uh, which is the sacral chakra, as, as you know, a lot of people call it, deals mm -hmm. with your relationships in the immediate, like usually one-on-one -on -one relationships, how you can treat other people um, in one-on-one mm -hmm. -on -one relationships, how you treat yourself one-on-one, -on -one, how you speak to yourself internally, things of that nature, and how you view yourself. Moving up to the yellow ray, or as called the solar plexus chakra, that deals with your relationship with society at large like your role in the world your purpose how you plan to fill it etc your ability to conduct yourself in large groups of people and energies and kind of you know interact mm -hmm. and those are the bottom three energy centers according to the law of one and according to the chakra system and those three those three are the human condition those are the ones that most people have issues with that they need to figure out. You know, their will to live, their their immediate needs and necessities, the root chakra, their ability to treat people well and to understand relationships with other people and why they're necessary and the ability to understand your relationship in society and your role in it. It's right. those three centers that are, you know, quote unquote, blocked most often in people. Moving up to the next one, which is the center energy center would be the the green ray which is the heart chakra uh, right. which deals with unconditional love which rod describes as seeing all things as an aspect of the infinite creator meaning mm -hmm. that that infinite field of consciousness which is you know god that of which we are all a part of and uh once you kind of get get to the green ray because you've worked on the, the lower three, that's when you can saddle up to the higher centers, like, you know, safely, quote unquote. So totally. uh, then you move up to the blue ray center, which is the throat chakra, which deals in your ability to condense wisdom into language and speak your truth in order to have a positive effect on the world and those around you. Um, yeah. Moving higher would be the indigo ray, which is the pineal gland or the Ajna chakra, which yeah. obviously is the is the the connection to higher dimensionality and uh, you know thought forms and archetypes and your ability to interface with your morphogenetic field and your DNA um, biologically and with intention. And then obviously the last one is the the 
violet ray, which is the crown chakra, yeah, and uh, which is like your connection to to this God, to this all that is, to the universe, right? And which right. kind of is the sum total of the prior six energy centers. And uh, but basically, what what Ra was saying is that it's easy to like get lost in the sauce and just kind of want to bypass the work at the at the lower centers which again visualize these centers as not a place visualize them as just aspects of being a human it's it's much easier that way yes. and uh and and it's much easier in other words what he's basically or what it's basically saying is like it's it's easy to want to use spirituality as a form of escapism but that and and in other words like to, to just bypass having to do that and to use that as escapism completely, you know, bypasses the point of the human experience, which is to learn, develop and grow, et cetera. And, right. uh, and that in doing so that you can like, you know, in some shape or in, in some way, shape or form that we may not understand or comprehend fry our spiritual circuitry and make it more difficult for us to live a fulfilling life, yep. uh, which, you know, makes a lot of sense. It but, does. um, yeah so yeah uh, well working on all those are very important i think for people to have good experiences you know what i mean like totally when you have a plant medicine but uh but even just people will tell you yeah and and people will tell you like you know every experience you have where you burst through that you know quote unquote indigo ray when you're using your pineal gland or whatever and having these spiritual mystical experiences you always get action items like how how do i integrate this to to <laughs> to fix myself to fix this aspect of myself and you have a choice you can either spend the time integrating like actually doing the work when you're sober like okay i learned what i have to do uh, I may have not realized what I had to do if I didn't have this experience, but I did. I know what I have to do. Now, am I going to do it or am I just going to go have the experience again? And ev anyone will tell you who's been on this path. If you spend the time and truly integrate your before your next experience, the next experience you have will open a deeper, a deeper layer to you. Like, and if not, you're just going to keep kind of repeating the same archetype of experience until you do the work. That's just how it seems to work, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Until you're able to transmute those energies and, and evolve with them. Uh, I feel like, yeah, these lessons keep showing themselves repeatedly saying, listen, finally integrate this, you know, and I think that the real work of, uh, these experiences and being involved with these medicines is actually coming back and integrating and doing the things you learned, the action items, uh, before you return to the medicine. Because uh, what's funny about the medicine is there's wisdom in there. And it, it says to you when you come back, hey, what about last time? Remember when I told you this? You didn't do anything. So I'm going to slap you real quick. You know what I mean? Hyper slap. You know? So... Um, to actually keep getting good experiences and evolving spiritually, so to speak, I think it's super important and vital to hear those messages, write them down, talk to yourself internally. How am I going to uh, integrate this? How am I, what actions am I going to, you know, um, action <laughs> in, in real life uh, to, to address these things that came up? And right. if you're able to do that, the next time you visit that space, it says, good job. You know what I mean? It, it's like, hey, I see you working out here. I'm going to give you a great experience right now. 
um, versus, you know, the other thing, which is you to continuously get the downloads and then to keep returning for more downloads. It doesn't just, it doesn't work that way. It's like, Hey, you're not supposed to be here, bro. I told you don't come back until you did X, Y, (laughs) Z. So it's just funny how that works. And for anybody listening who might think that sounds funny, that is exactly the notion that you get. It, it, Mm -hmm. it's very, it's a very real feeling. Of, of being filtered based on the work that you've done. It's crazy. It is. It is. But um, so there's there's one more big topic uh, I want to get into while I have you, which is the, the idea around uh, synthetic versus organic 5-MeO-DMT. Um, a lot of people, this is a big conversation in the space right now. A lot of people um, have had the experience of uh the organic 5-MeO-DMT from the Sonora Desert Toad and they're of the opinion that the spirit of the toad is almost what allows that experience to unfold but a ton of other people are having an experience with 5-MeO-DMT synthetically made and still getting that oneness experience that profound state of consciousness that's you know very hard to put into words but um I guess, you know, where do you come in on the topic of do they both work? You know, like, do they both give you the same experience? Does, this, does the spirit of the toad need to be present for this experience to unfold or not? And should people use synthetically made 5-MeO-DMT to save these toads? Because, you know, um, I feel like it's only a matter of time that we have another extinct animal if people are constantly putting their hands into the, the world of nature um, instead of letting these things do what they do and continue to thrive. So, yeah, well, where do you come in on all of this? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it should even be a question at this point, um, you know, whether we should solve the problem before it becomes a problem. I think 5-MeO-DMT, as I said on the last podcast, might be the most miraculous substance in existence. And... I've personal experience numerous times with both toad venom and synthetic 5-MeO-DMT, and I see, hear, and feel absolutely no difference between the two. Depends mm-hmm. on dosage, obviously, what caliber of experience you get, but I've done multiple dosages of both uh, many times. And I think that, you know, it's funny because... The people who proclaim that, I, I, I can't help but wonder if they kind of like got the message from what they were doing because like a lot, oftentimes these toads, unfortunately, don't just make it away scot-free because this venom does act as a, as a protector from predators and when people milk them dry of it, um, you know, they have much less protection in the wild. Right. Uh, there, you know, there are all kinds of reasons uh, why we should save it. But number one is that the synthetic works. It does the same thing. And like, I feel like anybody who's like been doing that will tell you that, uh, because Mm -hmm. it is an extraordinarily compound, I mean, extraordinarily potent compound. Mm -hmm. And I almost wish it were less potent. And I think that that's one of the main reasons probably why 
people prefer to work with the venom is because the synthetic is so potent that <laughs> most easily acquirable milligram scales won't register it because you're talking about a dose from like 8 to 12 milligrams of synthetic and a lot of milligram scales, unless you have an expensive scale, can't accurately weigh doses that small. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, and there are other fancy contraption something called the lamp that you can use as an argon piston vaporizer to vaporize it perfectly Mm. which is amazing and Mm -hmm. you know there are all kinds of ways it can still be utilized despite how potent it is i mean you could dilute it with another inert substance so that's not really an excuse but uh but yeah i mean my opinion obviously is that Mm -hmm. yes we need to move to the synthetic material not only will that help to prevent like black market poaching of living animals for profit but it's also extraordinarily cheap to produce like crazy cheap and you can make enough of it in a single lab like hamilton said hamilton wars Mm -hmm. to to give to dose the entire world (laughs) <laughs> it's it's crazy so yeah it uh, is but yeah that, I, I, that's an I bl- important message yeah no i know and 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 equally important like i said is like i believe it elicits the same caliber of experience sure there are a couple of other alkaloids in the toad venom but an issue with that is one of them is bufotenin which uh-huh. is known to cause hypertension and high blood pressure. doesn't okay. mean it can harm you unless you're susceptible to blood pressure issues, but you're dealing with an organic like conglomerate of compounds that you don't know the potency of, if we're being honest. I mean, right. the percentage of 5-MeO-DMT and bufo-toad venom can range drastically, uh, and, and there are also these other alkaloids present. And then you deal with the problem of like misidentification and, you know, harvesting other Bufo genus toads that don't have 5-MeO-DMT that might be poisonous to humans. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's just, it's a much better idea to migrate to the synthetic. Yeah, yeah. I would have to agree. I agree, you know. Uh, I think that's a very important message that needs to be out there right now. And as you mentioned to me in prior conversations, before it's too late. Like, we need to integrate this now before there's more of a problem, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. People well, need to get on the same page about it, too. It's, it's, I don't know, it's crazy that that's even a debate, honestly. Because we do have the means to easily and cheaply produce the same experience without affecting any animal population or harming any animals, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, like, why is this a question? We can still access the experience. Absolutely. 1000%. That makes so much sense. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just glad we're able to, to share this information and have this conversation. So um, just thank you for being here today, man. I really appreciate you. Um, where can uh, people learn more and, and discover your work? Uh, well, I mean, you can listen to my music on all platforms. Uh, I don't know when this podcast is being released, but I have a remix dropping first music i've released in a while a remix i did for grand tapestry uh dropping on the 21st of october uh, which is here soon how many days is that a couple days from now a couple days yeah and uh yeah so i'm excited about that remix uh i have a couple of really awesome collaborations in the works that you'll hear about soon um a couple more audio visual experiences and stuff of that nature but yeah just look up savage s-a-v-e-j on any and all platforms and you can uh jam the vibes amazing i highly recommend everyone go listen to this music it is so incredible i've had so many amazing journeys with this medicine 
um, that You're Savage good. is providing in the form of music. Thank you so much for doing that. Um, also, the, the Solstice Remix album is out. It's kind of still new. I, I consider it brand new even, I'm sure for you. You've been working on it for a while, so I understand how it might feel a little older to you. But um, if you haven't heard this, uh, the Solstice Remix album has a ton of amazing remixers, ton of amazing artists. Uh, you know, uh, transmuting the work of Savage into entirely new experiences. I love them all. They're all they've all got their own flavor and uh, highly recommend you check it out as well as just your first, you know, uh, debut album with Gravitas, which is Solstice. Timeless, absolutely timeless. So thank you so much for the work you're doing out here, brother. I appreciate you. 